Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, new developments in the case against megachurch pastor John Blanchard, arrest in the vandalism of pregnancy care centers, and a Christian broadcaster's radio towers were destroyed. We'll have details. We begin today with a story about sexual abuse allegations that concerned the Salvation Army, one of the largest Christian organizations in the country. Not only is the Salvation Army a large Christian organization, but it also uh, is a church as well with local congregations. And a California woman is suing the Salvation Army and its Pomona Corps in California, alleging that she was sexually abused by a youth leader when she was a minor. The woman is identified in the lawsuit only as Jane Doe, and she is suing for negligence, claiming those in authority failed to prevent or protect her and other children from the abuse. She is suing three tiers of the Salvation Army bureaucracy, including the Salvation Army Corporation, the Salvation Army Southern California Division, and individuals listed as Doe's 1 through 100 of the Salvation Army Core Community Center in Pomona, California. The complaint filed December 29, 2022, says Doe and her family were parishioners at the Salvation Army Core Community Center Pomona, which also served as a church. While there, they met her alleged abuser, Pastor Louis Ben Darris, in 2005. In the report, Doe says that Darris was both the pastor and youth leader at the Pomona Center when he befriended her family, gave her special attention, and bought her gifts, meals, and ice cream. At the time, Doe was approximately 10 years old. This is the second time in recent weeks that sexual abuse allegations include a Salvation Army leader. Uh, As Ministry Watch reported last week, a Salvation Army pastor in Chicago now faces three felony charges of sexual abuse of a minor. In November, Ministry Watch also reported on Jeffrey Williams, a youth pastor under the Intermountain Division of the Salvation Army, investigated for inappropriate communication between himself and a minor attending his youth group. Our next story involves the well-known church planting organization, Acts 29. Yeah, last week, Coram Deo Church in Bremerton, Washington, published a letter explaining why that congregation would be leaving the Acts 29 network, which is chaired by megachurch pastor Matt Chandler. The church cited several reasons, including theological and cultural issues, such as LGBTQ issues and critical race theory, about which He said that Acts 29 has not provided enough clarity. Uh, His letter also cited concern about a lack of financial and organizational transparency. John Needham, lead pastor of Quorum Dio, wrote that the church had been engaged in a process to resolve some of the concerns for over a year without receiving the clarification it desired. Yeah, the elders voted unanimously to leave the network in December of 2022. Quorum Dio Church is not the only church to surface some concerns about Acts 29. 
Garden City Church, for example, is located in the Silicon Valley of uh, North Central California, also announced recently that it has left the Acts 29 network. Justin Buzzard is the pastor of Garden City Church. He wrote a lengthy blog entry citing 10 reasons why the church had made its decision. Among them, again, were financial and organizational concerns similar to those noted by Needham. Garden City Church says it gave over $200,000 to Acts 29 over the years as part of its membership. But Pastor Justin Buzzard wrote this, there hasn't been clarity of a big picture budget to see where the money is going. Buzzard didn't ask Acts 29 for a copy of the budget, but said he knew of pastors who had and were refused. John Needham, in fact, was one of those pastors who did ask for a budget. He said he asked Acts 29 Vice President Dave Bruscus for a copy of the organization's budget and bylaws. Needham said that he was told that those were in-house documents only and that he couldn't see them. These events have eroded the trust that Needham and Buzzard have in Acts 29. Buzzard said that he didn't expect to see every line of the budget, but at least the main budget categories to understand where the money that churches are giving to Acts 29 is actually going. Acts 29 is a nonprofit tax-exempt charity under the Internal Revenue Service Code, but it does not file Form 990s with the IRS because it claims the church exemption. Increasing communication about our financial stewardship has become a priority for us in the last several years. That, according to a spokesman for spokesperson for the Acts 29 network, uh, that spokesperson also said that the group had recently completed an audit of the 2021 financials and would soon complete its 2022 financials. But she did not send Ministry Watch a copy of the audit in response to our request. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take a break. The Department of Justice investigation of violence against pro-life pregnancy resource centers has resulted in the indictment of a man and woman from Florida. Caleb Freestone is 27 years old and Amber Smith Stewart is 23 years old. They were both indicted by a grand jury in the Middle District of Florida for, and these are the words in the indictment, engaging in a conspiracy to prevent employees of reproductive health services facilities from providing those services. The indictment referenced co-conspirators, so more indictments may be coming. Freestone and Smith-Stewart are alleged to have vandalized a pregnancy center in Winter Haven, Florida, with spray-painted sayings such as, if abortions aren't safe, then neither are you, and then your time is up, we're coming for you, and we are everywhere. The indictment also mentions incidents against centers in Hollywood and Hialeah, Florida. The Justice Department also included charges based on the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, or the FACE Act. The FACE Act, signed into law in 1994, allows for prosecution of persons who physically obstruct the entrance to a clinic or who use force, the threat of force, or physical obstruction to interfere with women seeking abortions or other reproductive health services or those who provide those services. 
Yeah, if convicted, Freestone and Smith-Stewart could face up to a maximum of 12 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and fines that could go as high as $350,000. Compass Care is a network of pregnancy care centers in upstate New York, and in conjunction with the legal defense fund, the Thomas More Society, they're conducting their own investigation of incidents of violence against at least 78 pregnancy centers since the Dobbs opinion was leaked last year. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, the latest on a Christian broadcast in North Carolina that has had its radio towers destroyed by vandals. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next, the story we promised before the break, it's a story of the destruction of three radio towers belonging to a North Carolina-based Christian broadcaster. Local police and the FBI are investigating mysterious damage done to three radio towers owned by the Truth Network. The founder and CEO of North Carolina-based Truth Network reported in a January 10th Facebook post that several of the company's towers had been destroyed by an unknown party. Uh, The owner of the Truth Network is Stu Epperson Jr., and he said this, "'Today has been one of the toughest days of my broadcast life.'" And he added, criminal investigation is underway. By the way, Natasha, I should add, by way of full disclosure here, that Stu Epperson and I are friends. We've known each other for more than 20 years. And for several years, I was a regular guest host on his radio network. The towers located near Winston-Salem were destroyed in the span of less than three weeks, the COO Michael Corbin said. Yeah, the loss of the towers affected two signals, one AM and the other FM at the Winston-Salem station. Temporary repairs are underway with plans to build new towers uh, in a different location. And in fact, I spoke to Stu Epperson just this afternoon, a few minutes before Natasha, we uh, are recording this, and he said that they are in fact back up on the air, but not uh, with the same kind of power that they were up with before. So they've still got a long ways to go. By the way, the Truth Network includes 20 radio stations in over a dozen cities. Next up is a story about the Duke Endowment. The North Carolina Foundation is one of the biggest financial supporters of the Methodist Church. So we wanted to know how the breakup of the United Methodist denomination would affect Duke's giving. 
The Duke Endowment has about $5.9 billion in assets. It gives grants to a variety of organizations, but it does in particular focus on rural United Methodist churches. It's remained tight lips, though, about its stance regarding the denomination's ongoing schism. The organization told Ministry Watch that it's not in a position to comment on whether the split will affect its church grant-making selection process, eligibility requirements, or other aspects of the endowment's grant-giving process. We're still monitoring the situation as it plays out, said Charity Perkins, the communications director for the Duke Endowment, uh, she said this in response to emails that our reporter Shannon Cuthrell sent to her last week. The United Methodist Church split that was initiated in 2019 is well underway after much infighting surrounding LGBTQ issues. Yeah, with over 2,000 church disaffiliations so far, those that's the number that's been approved since 2019 and many more on the way, the schism represents a significant shakeup touching the 6.2 million uh, member denomination. It's the second largest Protestant denomination in the country. Since its founding, the Duke Endowment has distributed $4.3 billion in grants to various healthcare programs, child and family services, and rural churches, in addition to higher education institutions. One of those is Duke University, named after, of course, the Duke family, and it at least in its early days, was affiliated with the United Methodist Church. In 2021, the Duke Endowment gave more than $10 million to the United Methodist Church. Next up is a brief update on a story we reported on last week. Last week, we reported that the criminal case involving Virginia Pastor John Blanchard had been dismissed, but we're now getting word that it could be reopened because a special prosecutor has been appointed. At a press conference on January the 19th, Stacy Davenport, who's Commonwealth's attorney for Chesterfield County, indicated that new evidence may lead to a new trial in the once-dropped case. Blanchard, pastor of Rock Church International in Virginia Beach, was one of 17 men arrested in a 2021 sex sting operation. The pastor allegedly communicated with someone he thought was a 17-year-old girl and went to meet up at a hotel room where he was arrested. When Davenport's office dropped the felony charges against Blanchard in October of 2022, a feud broke out uh, between the Chesterfield County Police Chief Jeffrey Katz uh, and the district attorney that dropped the charges. Questions have also been raised about Blanchard's subsequent return to the church and ministerial duties. During his return to worship duties on December the 4th, Blanchard thanked the congregation for sticking with him. He said that he'd been the subject of, and these are his words, vicious and inhuman accusations, calling them demonstrably false. Blanchard also indicated that he'd be pursuing legal action to recover our good name in the community. Warren, we're going to take another break. When we return, our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. 
Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, I wanted to mention uh, a rash of sexual abuse cases that we've been covering. A former teacher at a Christian school near Philadelphia who became the pastor of a Baptist church in Cheney, Pennsylvania, has been sentenced to 20 to 40 years in state prison for sexually abusing a child in 2007 and 2008. The man's name is Randy Boston. He's 65 years old now. He was found guilty in September of abusing a first-grade boy while while he was a fifth grade teacher at the Westchester Christian School, a school affiliated with Bible Baptist Church in Westchester, a Philadelphia suburb. He was sentenced about two weeks ago on January the 11th. A second case involves a Georgia Baptist pastor awaiting a trial date in North Carolina Superior Court over abuse charges that were filed in 2020. That prompted an investigation and eventually his request. And finally, a third case, Jeff McCammon served as a pastor of Mount View Baptist Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia, since May of 2019. But in December of 2020, he was arrested after an investigation by local authorities in Cherokee County, North Carolina. Man, that's a lot of stories about sexual abuse. I mean, three in a row. That's right. And I'm sad to say that there were many more this week. Uh, these are just three of the most prominent ones that uh, we came in touch with. Now, I should also add that here at Ministry Watch, we don't like to dwell on these kinds of stories, but we do think they're important to document so that we truly understand the extent of the sexual abuse problem facing not only the culture, but also the church today. If you'd like to read more about why and how we cover these stories, I've written an article on the subject, and it's called simply Why Ministry Watch Covers Sexual Abuse Cases. I think you'll find that article helpful, and I'll have a link to it uh, in the show notes for today's program. Well, moving along to more positive news, last Sunday, January 15th, more than 12 million people turned on their smartphones to open up the good book. It was the highest ever daily engagement in the nearly 15-year history of the Version Bible app. If Bobby Grunwald, the Oklahoma-based pastor who has overseen the free Bible app since the beginning has its way... This number, 12 million in a single day, will soon become routine. Grunwald first thought, by the way, of the idea for an online Bible while he was in a security line at Chicago's airport in 2006. Uversion began as a website, then transitioned to smartphones when the App Store for the iPhone launched in July of 2008. 
The app uh, hit 500 million downloads in 2021. In a video conference call on Thursday, Grunwald said that he hopes to pass the 1 billion mark in the next five years. To help continue the app's growth, Grunwald said that Uversion recently added some new leadership to its team, including Nona Jones, who recently uh, was the exe- was an executive at Meta, where she was the head of global faith partnerships at Facebook. Before we go today, we should also mention that last week was the 50th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision and the first March for Life in the post-Roe era. Yeah, thousands assembled on Thursday. In fact, organizers claim nearly 100,000 people gathered to participate in this year's version of the Pro-Life March for Life on the National Mall. Uh, Throngs there were celebrating the fall of Roe v. Wade while expressing trepidation as the abortion debate moves to the states. Jean Mancini is the president of the March for Life. She opened up the 50th iteration of the rally by noting that it was the first march in post-Roe America, prompting cheers from the crowd. But she was quick to dispel any notion that the pro-life movement has slowed following the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, which ended nearly five decades of abortion access. She said this, we will march until abortion is unthinkable. And who did we have in the ministry spotlight this week? Feed the Hunger is a humanitarian evangelical Christian organization which started in 1968. Its original name was New Directions International. Uh, It says that its humanitarian activities are connected directly with its spiritual emphasis, and it wants to connect followers of Jesus here in this country to help fulfill the Great Commission in other countries. Feed the Hunger provides Bibles, community centers, church buildings, bicycles, and and micro-enterprise projects in Haiti and other countries. Uh, For 2021, its staff of just 13 people organized more than 31,000 volunteers, anywhere from 5 to 500 at a time, and they worked in 20 countries. By the way, they also packed more than a quarter of a million meals for the hungry. You can read more about this ministry at the Ministry Watch website. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, a couple of quick items, Natasha, if I could. First, a final reminder that we'll be doing a webinar next week called How to Find and Read a Form 990. The webinar is free, but you do have to register in order to get all the the uh, links and dial-in information. I should mention that we are limiting attendance at this webinar to about 100 people so that there'll be enough you know, space for interaction. And we're nearly at 100 people. I think we're somewhere between 75 and 85 right now. So if you want to attend, or even if you can't attend at that at the time we're offering it, but you want a recording, uh, you'll need to sign up soon. Uh, the webinar will take place on February the 1st at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, just check the Daily Ministry Watch emails for a link to the registration page. Do you have anything else? Well, I do. Uh, Don't forget to rate us uh, or leave a comment on your podcast app. Not only do these comments help us know what you're thinking so we can make improvements to the program and to everything that we do here at Ministry Watch, but the more ratings and comments we get, 
the easier it is for other people to find us. That's a huge help to us and to them. It helps us expand our reach. So please do rate us on your podcast app. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Jessica Alderalde, Kim Roberts, Shannon Cuthrill, Jack Jenkins, Bob Smetanya, Jessica Leah, Stephanie Martin, Scott Barkley, and Rod Pitzer. A special thanks to Baptist Press and churchleaders.com for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.